In today's episode, I shared about something that was really hard for me to share about. So if you listen, you might find in the first several minutes me procrastinating and delaying and not willing to talk about what it is that I was thinking originally about not talking about (laughs) that I ended up sharing about. So how's that for completely unclear? I don't want to give away too much uh, because maybe you'll turn away and not listen to it and which would be better for me because I really don't want you to hear what I had to share today, but it was an important lesson for me in my life. Hi, this is Amjad, a simple, broken man living in a complex world. Join me as I navigate the dark and bright spots of life, sharing vulnerably and reflecting deeply along the way. May you find some benefit here that is through me, not from me. I must warn you to enter at your own risk, for in this room, my humanity is showing. Welcome to episode 28 of My Humanity is Showing, and today I had a topic that I came up, I guess it was this morning? Boy, it was so long ago. No, it was yesterday, yesterday around lunchtime. Uh, there was a topic that came up from my past about, um, it's a pretty embarrassing story and I really don't want to share about it, but here I am talking about it. So I, part of me is tempted to just rip the bandaid off and share about it. Another part is tempted to just delete what I've recorded so far and talk about something else because I really don't want to talk about this. It's a very, very embarrassing story from my past. But let's let's see how far I make it. So the story is about when I first got married. So I haven't really talked about my marriage at all, but I was, my marriage was an arranged marriage. And that's, I guess we can talk about that in another episode, about how that all went about. Uh, My wife and I did have the opportunity to call it off. So it wasn't a forced arranged marriage. It was more of like kind of a blind date sort of situation where um, our parents got involved and and really felt like we would be a good fit. And um, we ended up together. So we got married. When we got married, we knew very little about each other. And uh, we were very hopeful. Uh, We had been engaged for about nine months and we talked several times during those nine months and you got to know each other a little bit better. But, you know, it's that kind of initial courting phase where you're not entirely letting go or, you know, it's always the best, you know, <laughs> you know, you always hear the stories about uh, when we were dating, when we were first dating, you used to always open the door for me or, you know, you used to always get, get really dressed up for me. And, uh, and then once, that initial phase is over, then the getting dressed up kind of ends and the opening the doors all the time ends. And I know for me, I still make a a concerted effort to open the doors, but, um, so that, you know, that, that phase was there. It was about nine months of that, of that courting and sort of on, on the best behavior. And, uh, then we got married and in the first week or two of marriage, I learned that my wife loves French fries. Um, And something happened inside of me which I could not explain. It was the most bizarre 
embarrassing reaction that I had. And it's really hard to even talk about it, which is why I'm kind of dragging this out. I just don't want to say it out loud. But um, we were having lunch with some friends yesterday and this topic came up and because someone at the table ordered french fries and my wife says i love french fries and i said yeah i know and so the conversation came up and uh, i started crying because i got pretty emotional about it because i still have a lot of embarrassment about this and i'm you know just sort of speaking from my own perspective. I'm not going to pretend to understand what's going on for her about it and whether or not she still has any residual pain around it or not. But, okay, I've postponed long enough. I'll rip the Band-Aid off. So what happened was I became insanely jealous of French fries. There I said it. Uh, And when I say insanely, what I mean by that is like illogically illogically jealous of french fries and to the point where if she ordered french fries i would get really upset like really 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 upset so we were going somewhere she's like oh i want french fries i I love french fries i want french fries and uh i would just get really angry really really angry and you know as we were having the discussion yesterday i said it was almost as if she was saying like oh i like this other guy it was like in that same vein. Like that was my reaction. It was as if she had just told me that there was this other boyfriend that she had that I didn't know about when we got married. And like I said, we had only been married a week or two. So we hadn't even been married that long. But it was like this whole, like, oh, I've got this other boyfriend that you don't know about. His name is French Fries. And illogical, and a completely illogical reaction to her yeah, I wouldn't even call it love. I mean, that's the the word she used, but you know, I mean, you know, some of I, I I love all kinds of foods too, but it's not the same kind of love. But in my twisted head at the time, it turned into that. Well, I kept getting upset about it. I kept getting angry about it to the point where for a really long time she wouldn't even eat French fries because she was so hurt by my reaction. And um I was convinced that something else was at work here uh, to the point that I believed that I had been possessed because it didn't make any sense to me. My reaction at a logical level in my brain uh, didn't make any sense. My brain was sitting there looking at this going, what the heck is going on? Like, why are you compl- why are you acting like a complete idiot Every time your wife asks for French fries, your new bride, and you're freaking out because she likes French fries? What? And um, so I was convinced that I must be possessed. I was convinced that somebody had put a spell on me or that, you know, I'd somehow, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term in, uh, in Urdu, we call it nazar or uh, bad nazar or buri nazar. In uh, Spanish, I learned that the the term is mal ojo, or evil eye, is another term that I've heard. In Turkey, they sell these little blue eyeball-looking things that are supposed to protect you from evil eye. And uh, evil eye being this concept that's prevalent in several cultures, as I mentioned, like, you know, Indian culture we have, an Indian-Pakistani culture, 
uh, we have it and, you know, learned that it's in some Latin cultures. Uh, Turkey has it. You know, it's like this kind of prevalent idea that that someone can, out of jealousy or spite, put, you know, like maybe even unintentionally, put a negative effect on something. So one of the sayings that they say sometimes is, you know, it's like if someone sees something they like in someone else, then it'll get ruined. Uh, there's all kinds of rit- rituals to try to break the spell, to break the the thing. And, um, you know, like I know, for example, one of them is to take an egg and like spin it around, like kind of swirl it around a person and then go dispose of it very far away so that it absorbs that that negative effect and you go break it somewhere else. Another one is to make sure you touch the item so that once you touch it, you kind of break the spell that you might have accidentally put on it by being jealous about it or having this sense toward it. Uh, Now that I'm talking about this, I think that explains why I'm so incredibly paranoid about this particular thing. So I, you know, in general, I don't consider myself a superstitious person. Uh, You know, I don't believe that if, you know, a black cat passes my path that I'm somehow something bad's going to happen. Or if I go underneath a ladder, if I open umbrella indoors, you know, I generally, most things I don't have a whole lot of superstition around. Like for example, we visited some friends today and they have two black cats. So I had black cats passing my path left and right. So in those sense, I, you know, those kinds of things, those kinds of superstitions don't bother me. But if there's one superstition that I have, that's really bad. It is this superstition of evil eye. And when I say it's really bad, I'll give you a perfect example that's very pertinent to this podcast. It is probably single-handedly the number one reason why I have not really marketed this podcast, why I don't publish it on my LinkedIn account or in other social media or tell people about it. I've told a very, very select handful of people about it you know, some of my closest friends and, and people that I trust. But outside of that, I, I don't really mention it. Uh, if something interesting happens for me, either professionally or personally, I don't post it in social media type outlets. I don't mention it in in broad venues um, because I'm so incredibly paranoid about this idea of the evil eye. That somehow, and I haven't been able to explain why I'm so paranoid about it. But having this conversation today actually just made me realize I believe it's because of the French fry thing. I actually, now that I think about it, I think it all ties back to the French fry thing. Because I was convinced that somebody was looking at me and saying, Here's this young couple that just got married and they seem so happy and they seem like, you know, they're. It's just such a sweet couple, and that they somehow put a spell on me. And I'm not—I'm not talking about the kind of cutesy kind, like uh, from uh, you know, Bette Midler might put on me from uh, what is that? Uh, oh my goodness! Now I forgot the name of the movie. I just watched it recently. Hocus Pocus, uh, you know, or Hocus Pocus too. You know, it's like uh, you know, I put a spell on you, and I, I, you know, not from that perspective, but just something even more powerful than that, more uh, devastating than that, where there's this, you know, twist in fate, like a person's fate is twisted as a result of this uh, evil eye thing. 
to the point that, like I said, I've lived in fear of it probably ever since. I mean, I always kind of had that idea that there's this evil eye thing out there or whatever. Uh, my best friend and I used to joke about it in, uh, when we were in high school. Uh, you know, like one day we were driving, and all of a sudden he's like, pull over, pull over, pull over. And I was like screeched and pulled over. I'm like, what in the world happened? He said, I, there's something really important I need to do. And he got out of the car and he walked over and there was like this, some really nice car. I don't know what it was, Corvette, Lamborghini. I, don't, I can't remember what vehicle it was. And he sat and he stared at it for a long while. And then he came and sat back in the car. And I said, what in the world was that all about? And he's like, it's not fair that whoever has that car has it. So I wanted to make sure and get some good evil eye on it. You know, I was like, you're such a dork. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of goofy stuff that we would kid about around it. So, you know, it's like there there was this idea that it existed, but, you know, it was that was more tongue-in-cheek, him just messing with me, messing around. But after the French fry thing, I became much more paranoid about it. And like I said, for me, it was this belief that somehow um, deep down inside, I have this complete superstitious belief or whatever that, uh, um, you know, where um, that I'm, I got possessed as a um, as a result of this new being newly married, and it manifested itself in an absolute illogical, insane reaction to um, French fries and the fact that my wife liked French fries. So, what was the outcome of all of that? Well, like I said, for a while, I and I just kept getting really, really, really upset every time she would mention it, to the point where for a quite a long time she stopped eating french fries altogether for a really long time then i think eventually she started eating them again i went through a few exorcism type rituals i did a bunch of things that in the hopes that it would break this spell that was on me because i could not understand it and i was so frustrated by it and i was convinced there was some evil force living inside of me and i was in a lot of pain now, fast forward, you know, we've been married uh, coming up on 27 years now. Fast forward maybe 20 years into the marriage. I don't know. I don't know, 15, 20 years. At some point, like deeper in the marriage, after after the point at which I started finally getting some help and some therapy for some of my issues. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about my mental health background, but uh, some of the struggles there. And that I've mentioned in other episodes, which, um, you know, I started, finally started getting help in 2007. And as a result of that, as a result of getting that help, that's when I finally, things started to turn around. So um, I got a little bit less possessive and jealous and about my wife and, you know, where she was where she was standing and whether or not, you know, like anything she liked, I used to feel like, why does she like that more than me? Well, if you happen to be a mental health professional or someone who has had some experience around this, or you maybe even just a normal person who was like, oh, I can see it. It's totally clear as day what was going on. Well, it's, like I said, it took me 15, 20 years to figure it out. And finally through a lot of counseling sessions and different things, it finally came into light that what was really happening for me was I had such a horrible low self-esteem that, 
you know, I got married in a lot of ways with this expectation that it would instantaneously fix me. That I would get married and I would wake up the next morning and all my problems will have vanished. Now, where I came up with that insane idea, I have no idea, but I really believed that. Like, I latched on to that idea. I latched on to this idea of, you know, that marriage is going to fix me, that it's going to be the magical spell, the magical cure to all of my problems. And, you know, and in part, what I was looking for, which I didn't realize, like I said, 15, 20 years later, it finally, finally occurred to me that what I was looking for was unconditional love. That's what I wanted. I thought if I got married, that the person I married would love me unconditionally. And, uh, you know, it's like, what's that saying? It's like, I need your undivided attention, like undivided love. That 100,000% of it would be directed in my direction and there would be nothing left for anything else. Not for French fries, not for our pet rabbits, not for children later on, not for parents, not for a movie, not for friends, nothing. That it would 100,000% be pointed in my direction. It would be this unconditional love that just accepted me exactly as I am without any judgment, without any pushback, without any questions, and with absolutely nothing pointed in any other direction. And that would be, um, you know, kind of my uh, outlook on life, right? Is that, you know, I would I would come into the, um, uh, you know, I would come into this marriage and that's what would happen for me, is that I would get this like magical, uh, reaction. Well, like I said, if you're a mental health professional or someone who just happens to have a really cute, uh, acute and clear understanding of these things, you probably can see like that is, first of all, an irrational expectation. Duh. I mean, I think anybody can see that, but I didn't, I didn't even know I had that expectation, which is why I couldn't understand why I was having such a weird reaction to French fries. You know, it's like, okay, so she loves French fries. What the heck is wrong with you? Like, why are you reacting this way? But I had this, you know, underlying belief that was this weird expectation. And what I didn't realize I had done was I had taken an unnatural, impossible thing and put that expectation on a human being. So I'm expecting perfection like perfect love from a a human being. And human beings, all of us, are imperfect. We're incapable of doing anything that's truly, truly perfect. And uh, not only that, but it's unreasonable to expect that someone would take all of their love and direct it in my direction and not share it with anyone else, including their own parents or their siblings or, you know... um, or food, or whatever that is. That, you know, that's just unnatural and unreasonable. So I had this unreasonable expectation that I put on a unsuspecting uh, poor new bride. And that was um, just a really uh, 
um, you know, just an unfair thing to do. It's a very unfair thing to do. Now, I have to give myself a little bit of the grace in the sense that I didn't do it purposefully. I didn't, you know, do it maliciously. I didn't even know what was going on. I did not understand that this subconscious twisted belief was inside of me until much, much later. And that it was um, it was causing a lot of pain and suffering for a couple of very young people, uh, for both of us. Uh, both of us were just in a lot of pain as a result of this irrational kind of thing. And it was, I remember years later talking to some young people, I was giving a talk on, on Valentine's Day about love, like what is love? And, uh, you know, I, I have this on my list of possible topics one day, maybe, maybe when it gets close to Valentine's Day. But uh, the idea is that, you know, for me, what I realized is that if, you know, really, if I'm looking for that perfect unconditional love, I need to find it in a perfect source. And that's where kind of that perception of God or of a higher power, that spiritual energy of the universe, that creative intelligence, whatever that is, that's where I can seek that perfection and that perfect acceptance and that unconditional love. And then I need to accept that all the human beings around me are are not going to be able to provide that. And it's not fair because we're walking side by side. And so when I got married, what I did is I agreed to join a journey with someone else, not bring in somebody who's going to solve all my problems. And what's happened over the last 27 years is we've, almost 27 years, is that we've grown together and that we've adapted and, you know, tried different things and we've learned about ourselves and about each other. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful to now see that dysfunction for what it is and uh, and for us to be able to sit at lunch with some friends and actually eat french fries and it not be the end of the world. So uh, with that, uh, boy, I can't believe I powered through that because I really did not want to talk about my embarrassing reaction to french fries, um, my wife's love for french fries. But um, anyway, I, you know, I'll stop there because I do believe, like I said, I just want to end, I'm going to say it one more time. I want to end on a positive note and that I do believe that uh, things are much better now. And um, it's a result of a lot of work, getting help, and uncovering, discovering, and discarding some of those crazy beliefs. And it it's helpful to know that I wasn't necessarily possessed, but that I was being driven by an irrational expectation. And it was because I was, uh, you know, I was hurting because I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I was struggling with my own self-worth and being unable to care about myself. I was, I was expecting the rest of the world to fill my cup. And, uh, because I didn't have any love to give myself, I had nothing to put in my own cup. And so therefore I had a broken cup with a hole in it. Okay. So I tried to end on a positive note and, um, hopefully that worked. And like I said, it was, boy, this was a hard episode to record because I really did not want to share that. So I'm going to stop there and we will switch over to the, um, the, gosh, now I think I've lost my, my ability to speak. Uh, we're going to switch over to the random message of the day and reach into the bucket of fortune cookies stuff and see if we can't pull something out. 
Okay, let's see here. Oh, I started to look. <laughs> I usually don't look in the bucket. Okay, let me close my eyes. All right, here we go. So some people dream of worthy accomplishments while others stay awake and do them. So this is an interesting one. I, I guess what I'm taking away from this is that, you know, the in order to accomplish things, it requires work, which um, I guess that takes me in a couple of directions. One, uh, I'm wondering if this is implying that it's not important to dream uh, but for me, it all starts with dreams. So, you know, I might dream in order to work on an, a something, I have to first dream it into existence for me. Like I, I have to have a vision of what it is. Like a, a perfect example would be if there's a meal that, you know, like let's say I decide, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make dinner tonight. And if I can't think of what to make, I could sit there in the kitchen for a couple hours and nothing comes out of it. At some point, I have to have a vision of what the meal's going to look like. And usually for me, as soon as that vision is there, where I can see the final table set with the, you know, the different menu items on it, then I just get so motivated and I jump in and start doing all kinds of stuff and get to work. And in the end, it's usually not close to what I was envisioning, but um, if I can get some of those items together and get them on the table and feel like, okay, I had a vision. And I got to work making that vision. So to me, I don't know that they're inseparable. That they're separable like that. That I can separate out the idea of um, doing something versus dreaming about it. Because to me, the two are, are inherently linked. And then the second thing is that just because I work towards something doesn't mean that it was going to end up as a worthy accomplishment. I mean, sometimes there's just a lesson in it for me and it turns out to be a major failure. So I have to, I have to be willing to accept that, you know, doing something, just doing, working towards something, uh, isn't necessarily a guarantee that I'm going to have the outcome that I was looking for. But, um, personally, I like to choose that, choose to believe that whatever the outcome is, is the one that was meant to be. And I just, there's a lot of peace for me in that. There's a lot of peace for me in being able to say, okay, wasn't what I set out to do, but maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another reason this has happened and uh, I'm good with that. So those are a couple of reflections that came out of that quote today. And with that, uh, thanks as always and hope you keep coming back.